Good morning, afternoon, everyone. How are you doing? Good. Well, today I'm pleased to share with you details on Bill 3, the Opioid Damages and Healthcare Cost Recovery Amendment Act 2023, which I'll be tabling in the legislature this afternoon. This bill proposes important amendments to the original 2019 legislation that will further strengthen Alberta's position on a class action member uh, in BC's litigation brought forward on behalf of the provincial and territorial governments against manufacturers and wholesalers of opioid products. Before I get into the details of Bill 3, I just want to give you a bit of context on the opioid addiction crisis, the impact on communities, and what has brought us here today. The beginning of the crisis started more than 25 years ago over the uh, high, over-prescribing of highly addictive drugs to treat pain. The introduction of Oxycontin as a safe supply of drugs with a false claim that it was safe and non-addictive opioid for people suffering with acute care or chronic pain was really the beginning of the crisis we see today. So this was also the very beginning of an aggressive marketing campaign to push doctors on the drug's alleged benefits resulting from overprescribing of a supply of highly addictive opioid medication such as oxycodone, hydromorphone, uh, and even prescriptions for fentanyl. This is the same supply of drugs that activists and lobbyists are calling on the government to provide under the latest marketing scheme called Safe Supply. Today in Alberta, there are a few people not affected either directly or indirectly by the opioid addiction crisis that continues to grip Albertans and their families. Damages to our communities and families have been absolutely devastating, and there are still far too many Albertans suffering with this deadly disease of addiction. Flooding our streets and communities with more drugs is clearly not the solution. The solution is to support people in pursuit of recovery. This is why our government has been making significant investments into addiction treatment and building out the Alberta recovery model. Since 2019, we have added more than 10,000 new publicly funded addiction treatment spaces and eliminated any user fees for access. We're also building 11 community recovery centers to provide more than 700 new long-term holistic residential addiction treatment beds and even more spaces every year. Two of those recovery communities are now operational and more expected to come in the new year. Stay tuned as those come online. We've expanded treatment on demand through the innovative virtual opioid dependency program, providing same-day access to evidence-based opioid addiction medicine. No other jurisdiction in the world has this level of access to opioid agonist therapy. Now on to the legislation. We've been clear since our government was first elected in 2019, that we will hold the manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, and others who are accountable for their part in the devastating addiction crisis and its cost on our healthcare system. The addiction has cost many Albertans significantly. Families have lost loved ones and torn apart by this deadly disease. Even one life lost is too many, and that's why we're ensuring recovery is made possible for everyone with the Alberta recovery model. However, Treatment of addiction and the costs associated with overdose and addiction has a significant financial cost and strain on our healthcare system. That is why in 2019, our government introduced Bill 28, the Opioid Damages and Healthcare Cost Recovery Act, which was supported unanimously in the legislature. Amendments now proposed to Bill 3 would make three crucial changes to the act. One, it will add consultant to provide statutory basis for a case against those who provide advisory services to opioid manufacturers and wholesalers or distributors. Two, it will include active ingredient in the definition of an opioid product to provide more clarity uh, that an active ingredient is itself an opioid product. 
And three, it will amend the market share formula to distinguish between the market share of manufacturers and the market share of wholesale and distributors to be able to more accurately calculate any damages that are awarded from the legal action. So these proposed amendments would strengthen even further our province's position in any future class action uh, lawsuit that we join related to harms caused by opioid manufacturing, distributing, and marketing. The proposed amendments are also aligned with the original intent of the Act that we passed in 2019, and the proposed amendments give more clarity and join us um, in the certification with the case in BC. BC, Saskatchewan, and other provincial governments have already made or expected to make similar amendments to their legislation. We want Alberta to be positioned for the best possible outcome of any class action. And I'm pleased to commit that any damages awarded in result of these class action suits or settlements will come to support the Alberta model of recovering. To provide recovery for anyone suffering from mental health challenges or from the daily disease of addiction, which plagues so many of our communities today. I'm so happy to be here moving forward this piece of legislation, and I'm happy to take your questions. Thanks, everyone. Uh, It's good to see you guys back for another session of the legislature. Um, We'll start with questions on the floor. One question, one follow-up. So, Lisa Johnson, go ahead. Thanks, Hunter. (laughs) Hi, Minister. Um, I wanted to ask you about some of the ongoing things that are happening here in Edmonton, because yesterday we saw a city council meeting that got pretty heated on the topic of drug poisoning deaths in Edmonton. It it is a crisis situation. I think a lot of people would agree. Uh, We saw city councillors express frustration that their hands are tied on this issue that there's nothing in the throne speech related to dealing with and addressing these opioid deaths and homelessness. Uh, One counselor, like, uh, there was a lot of finger pointing, you could say, um, but uh, essentially saying that that housing, mental health, and health care are within your jurisdiction to address, and, and a lot of frustration that they think their hands are tied. So what are you doing right now to keep people alive so they can get into recovery and take advantage of what may end up being the spoils of this this lawsuit. Every single death as a result of the disease of addiction is absolutely tragic. The, the truth is we know this and there's no alternative. Addiction, especially an opioid addiction, either ends in the tragic loss of life of an individual or it ends in treatment, recovery, and a second lease on life. And so as long as there are waiting periods to get into a recovery center, as long as there is somebody who needs access to recovery but cannot get in, our top priority in, gov- in government is to make sure that we find as many resources as possible to put towards recovery. Now, I don't think anybody could say that an alternative um, – I don't think anyone would believe that uh, an abundance of drug consumption sites is going to solve this problem. Uh, I think we believe that recovery is the only way to solve this problem, and that's where this government is focused on it. Uh, and we heard lots in, in the speech from the throne surrounding housing, homelessness, and especially when it came to the question around addiction. Uh, I was very happy to see that the Premier, not only in her general election campaign, not only in my mandate letter, but again in the speech from the throne, made very clear that the Compassion Intervention Act is going to play a part in this, along with the rest of the spectrum of care within the Alberta recovery model. Can I follow up? Yeah, your government has also said that that's going to take a long time. So what are you doing today? Like, this is an urgent crisis, and mm-hmm. people are throwing their hands up in the air because people are dying on the streets. Mm-hmm. So maybe the next question is, what is the waiting list to get into a recovery space in Alberta right now? 
we're in the process of building out the data collection so we can better understand exactly what that is. Um, and I can tell you anecdotally, I speak to providers daily, uh, and I speak to folks in pre-recovery housing. I went to an event with Oxford House, which is a terrific group that does work on this. Uh, and I speak to folks, whether it be in shelters or we're talking about people leaving detox. And so it varies. Uh, we've gotten the list down because of those 10,000 new spaces, because of the new, new treatment facilities come online, but more work needs to be done. Uh, I'd say that we are lower than all of our neighboring jurisdictions, from what I can tell in terms of wait times, but we only have two of our 11 recovery communities uh, open. So that puts ahead of me a lot of work to get done to make sure that I open those as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Because as you say, it, it's a crisis. The addiction crisis is real. And if we don't address it with recovery, we won't be solving the problem. Nobody thinks handing out more drugs or facilitating addiction is going to solve it. If we know the solution is recovery, we have to double down and get there as quickly as we can. But Michelle, go minister, ahead. I wonder if you can acknowledge, though, that not everybody who dies from drug poisoning is an addict. Like, I could go down town right now and buy some drugs. I'm not a drug user, but I could use drugs right now. And if the drug is poison, I would die, but I'm not a drug addict. So I, just to follow up on what Lisa's asking, what are you going to do for people right now? Right now. Maybe they're not ready to go into recovery. So could I understand which drug you're proposing you buy? I'm just saying any drug. Like any Which drug? drug? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a drug user. But I'm just saying if okay. I count. Go on. I'm not a drug user, but I'm saying if I went downtown to buy a drug mm -hmm. and it was poisoned. Uh, but like, I, like a not a non-prescription, an illegal drug that's on the streets. If I was to buy a An drug, illegal drug. Yeah. Say fentanyl, perhaps. Yeah. Okay, a fentanyl is poisonous. Yeah, but, but, but Minister, the drug drugs are the, the problem is, is that drugs are laced with poisonous substances. I think that's that fentanyl issue, so. and opioids are dangerous, they are addictive, and they result in death regularly, regularly. Whether you're using hydromorphone or oxycotton, which is the point of today's news release and legislation, is that it caused mass addiction. That addiction led to huge harms to our system. So you're saying that only addicts drug die from drug poisoning. I'm saying, saying all illegal drugs that you consume are going to harm you and that they are poisonous and toxic. This distinction between some drugs are toxic and some are not, whether you're talking about... That's not what I'm saying. What okay. I'm saying is that it has to do with the person itself. That, that the person who uses drugs for the first time, illegal drugs for the first time, it might be poisoned and they die. I'm saying yes, but because keep, illegal drugs are poisonous. So that, that's what I'm trying to, trying to Michelle, understand here. Can we just let the minister respond to your question? My, my position is that hydromorphone, used recreationally, fentanyl, um, carfentanyl, and I'll even expand it beyond opioids and talk about methamphetamine, uh, that they are, they're dangerous, that they um, result in death when used, and that we should not encourage that. I, I hope that's, that's helpful. Janet, you had your hand up. Uh, yes. I just want to go back to a comment that you have made this comparison that people who want to provide safe supply are somehow on par with the manufacturers of opioids that you're saying were misleading and, and trying to profit off of people's suffering. Um, can you just expand a little bit on that? Do, mm -hmm. do you really think that that's a fair comparison, that people who are trying to run safe supply programs are, are trying to profit off of people with addictions? I think that uh, the nature of the first attempt at safe supply through oxycodone or oxycotton, uh, where they said that um, 
public access or access, wide access to hydro, to um, opioids is a public health benefit. They said that they're non-addictive, that being concerned with the overprescription or abuse is opioid phobia, phobia is the same thing that's happening now with safe supply. And there's no policy reason to think that whether the provider is the pharmaceutical industry or it is the federal government, that a mass expansion of supply of opioids is going to have a different policy outcome. We are in this lawsuit today and joining it because of widespread prescription of opioids that were massively damaging to the health of Albertans and a burden on our system. And there is no substantive difference to whether or not that supply came from opioid manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, or whether it comes through from the federal government. Do you have any sense of the cost over time? So we heard in the tech briefing the, the cost, the societal cost to Alberta is about a billion to $2 billion a year to deal with addiction and all its many tendrils. But, I mean, if the, if the crisis is expanding, how has that cost to the government changed from, say, 2019 to today? That's a good question in terms of the cost, and I can't answer specifics. I can tell you that of the current litigation that's ongoing with the class action, some settlements have been made, uh, I believe, with Purdue Pharmaceutical and a number of its subsidiaries, and those totaled as public information approximately $150 million Canada-wide for damages. So in terms of what will come out of the results of of the litigation uh, and any settlement, I, I don't know. Um, but I am determined to get every single red cent I can from those who are responsible for causing this crisis because we need to understand that lessons need to be learned if we go down this road again and we provide a second safe supply of high-powered pharmaceutical-grade opioids en masse to the community, it will result in more addiction. And unfortunately, that addiction will be very, very harmful. Can just, sorry, can you just say your, your yeah, name? Yeah, sure. Shay Lanskowski with CTV News Edmonton. Um, that $150 million settlement that you mentioned, do we know what Alberta's portion will be and where that money would be going? Do you have it bookmarked or marked for, for a certain number of I don't have the detail in terms of a dollar amount that's coming to me, and I'm happy to try and get you that uh, if we have that from our department. Uh, all the money that we recuperate from this as government policy is going back into uh, the recovery model for my ministry. Yeah, and that recovery model, are we just talking beds? What other... Are yeah, uh, I would say it's going to go towards expanding capacity, first and foremost, for treatment, um, whether that be detox or uh, recovery treatment in recovery communities. Of course, the virtual opioid dependency program is an essential plank in our spectrum of care in the Alberta model. It is uh, evidence-based opioid agonist therapy, medication for those suffering from opioid addictions, and is very, very effective when paired with treatment uh, and counseling and therapy uh, in the process of recovery. We'll go back here. You're going to say your name oui. as well. Emmanuel Prestovet, Radio-Canada, en français. Oh, ça sera difficile, mais je débrouille. Okay, je peux vous poser une question. Uh, Pouvez-vous m'expliquer à quoi va servir ce, ce projet de loi au présent aujourd'hui? <coughs> Pardon, une autre fois. À quoi va servir le projet de loi présenté aujourd'hui? La raison que nous présentons cette, euh, ce projet de loi, c'est parce qu'on veut récupérer euh, les dollars euh, qui sont, euh, qui sont les, 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 les résultats de les dommages, euh, les, les dommages, euh, c'est quoi le mot que je cherche? Oui, les dommages euh, que l'industrie pharmaceutique a créé euh, avec la, la crise de, de dépendance. Euh, puis, qu'est-ce que vous allez faire avec l'argent que vous allez recevoir si vous gagnez le procès? 
chaque dollar que nous gagnons de la process euh, sera réinvesti dans la map, dans ma ministre, euh, ministère pour euh, pour avancer euh, l'intention de recovery pour chaque Alberta. Merci. Merci. All right, in the time, we'll, uh, we'll jump to the phones. Uh, operator, can you put through our first caller? Jonathan Bradley, Western Standard. Hello, Minister Williams. Thank you for taking my call. One promise made by the Alberta United Conservative Party during the election was the Compassionate Intervention Act. When do you expect the Compassionate Intervention Act to be unveiled? Uh, thank you for the question. Um, Compassion intervention is a main plank of our re-election that we want a, a majority mandate for after the recent election uh, in 2023. And it was also in a mandate letter. It's something that I'm going to be working on. I need to get it right. I need to make sure that we're in the process of, uh, of, of understanding how we can best serve Albertans and those who are most vulnerable, who are struggling with a deadly disease of addiction, and who are a danger to themselves or others as a result of their drug use. And so uh, it's not going to be coming out in this uh, session right now, but I'll be moving it forward. Pardon me. I'll be moving it forward as quickly as I can to make sure that we have that as one piece in our spectrum uh, in continuum of care in the Alberta recovery model. And uh, okay. follow-up, Jonathan? Sure. So... You, uh, you said you, you've spoken many times at press conferences about how you have a moral obligation to help people with addiction. Where does that moral obligation come from? I believe that it's deeply Canadian and Albertan to care for um, your neighbours, your family members, those in your community, whether you know them personally or not. Every single Albertan who is suffering from addiction has an incredibly compelling story and can be wonderful sisters and brothers and family members and community members and volunteers. Again, recovery is possible. I see it every single day with the people I meet. And I'm filled with all sorts of hope every time I meet with these individuals. And they are in so many ways, those who have been through recovery and live recovery, they are my personal inspiration daily to know that this policy matters, the space matters, that the misery and living hell that addiction creates can be overcome and you can have such a beautiful, fulfilled life with your family and your friends and your community again. Uh, I think that's, there's nothing more Albertan than believing in recovery. There's nothing more Canadian than being compassionate towards those who are vulnerable, who need our help, who need our interventions. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Oh, Catherine, go ahead. We'll yeah. finish up with you. So you see there's, um, the choice is re recover or die. And there's people on the wait list. So what, what do those people on the wait list do in the meantime? We've done a number of things to try and help in an interim process. Of course, the sooner we get capacity for recovery, the better it will be for everyone. One is funding uh, what we call pre-treatment recovery houses. Some are specific to young men. Some are specific to young women. Uh, some are specific to uh, an indigenous um, cultural sensitivity to make sure that they at least have somewhere that is clean and sober and safe for them to be. They've made the decision they want to go into recovery. Until that capacity comes out on the other side or a space becomes available, that is one of the things we can do. 
Virtual Opioid Dependency Program is a lifesaver for so many people who have made that decision. It helps them, regulate them, along with uh, a community, and especially with some form of therapy. It's massive, massively successful. Even before people get into treatment, it can play a huge part in that. Uh, and then we have a huge number of other resources available as well. We can talk about the DOORS app. Um, we can talk about all sorts of uh, frontline um, services, trying to provide shelter space, et cetera, mostly through my colleague, Minister Nixon's, department. But we, we know that there are many, many people struggling. It's not lost on me that we have a huge task ahead of us to build this out. Um, I believe in recovery, so I want to provide that capacity. And I know that in the meantime, there are people who need that and can't get it. And that's our obligation as a government and as a society to step in. So partnering to build capacity as well with um, not-for-profit organizations outside of those 11 uh, recovery communities is also something I'm looking at doing uh, as much as possible. And, and yeah, follow-up. Um, other jurisdictions have wait lists, and I, I think it's been a few years since you said wait list information is coming, so what's, what's the holdup in, in getting that information public? Well, we need to make sure that we follow all the appropriate standards when it comes to personal health data. Uh, and so we're working through that with my department, with AHS, with all the providers to create um, a way of, from a central position understanding that. I, I can tell you that um, from what I understand anecdotally talking to providers, wait lists have gone down from where they were four or five years ago. Uh, but I, I will say it's a huge mountain of work in front of us to make sure that we get that list down to zero. I want to see people immediately getting into treatment as soon as they make the decision that they want to live uh, a recovered life. Apologies, we'll have to uh, cut it off there. Uh, but if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to send them my way. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Merci.